Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Here on the Hub Day edition of The Yard, hope things are well with you. It's already been a busy day here. And uh, we'll wrap up the show and got some bones to post and things like that. But uh, busy day as always over at jeanspage.com. If you're a Mississippi State fan, we pride ourselves on being your Eyes and ears when it comes to Bulldog Athletics. So uh, go by and check out what's going on over there. Yeah, just yesterday, uh, Justin Frommer posted an interesting piece about uh, putting together a non-conference basketball sketch. We were able to, uh, to get a hold of some documents to kind of see some financials. And uh, that's content that is exclusive to jeanspage.com. Uh, so go by and check that out if you're a subscriber. If you're not, shame on you. You certainly should be. Speaking of men's basketball, you'll get your first chance to see the Bulldogs in action this weekend. For those of you that don't make the trip to Auburn, or maybe you're going to do that and double back, uh, Bulldogs will be taking place in a charity exhibition game uh, this Sunday. This Sunday. That'll be October the 29th. Tip-off is at 2 p.m. on the campus of Southern Miss. It is a charity game to uh, benefit many of our our, our neighbors that were um, – you know, devastated by the uh, you know, tornadoes that hit in the Mississippi Delta way back in March with uh, mile, 195-mile-per-hour winds. There were 17 fatalities down there. And uh, Chris Jan said, uh, we're excited to partner with Southern Miss to play a charity exhibition basketball game in the state of Mississippi. Our basketball program is in position to help the residents of the Mississippi Delta and especially the people affected by the tornadoes. We're looking forward to competing down there in Hattiesburg for this worthy cause. Now, State will be without a couple players. Uh, you know, Tolu's out. I guess there's three guys that will be out, and there's one uh, to be determined. But uh, you can go by, and tickets are 20 bucks for chairbacks and then 10 bucks in the uh, in the bleachers. And it's really, again, this, it's, a, it's for a worthy cause, so we encourage you to get out and support that. Uh, Reed Green Coliseum has been very good to Mississippi State over the years, even though it's a travel venue for us. We don't travel down there very often, but we have at times. I remember watching Eric Dampier and the Bulldogs play uh, down in Hattiesburg. Uh, So, again, this Sunday, tip-off set for 2 p.m. If you can't make it, uh, the game will be streamed online, ESPN Plus, of course, the ESPN app. Uh, So, again, your first chance to see uh, the the, uh, basketball Bulldogs in action uh, so be sure and uh, check that out. Should be a good event. And uh, listen, anytime the Bulldogs get together, 
we need to turn out. And we'll have uh, full coverage of the event. Again, uh, jeanspage.com's Justin Frommer will be there. We'll, we'll go cover the Auburn game with us and then hightail it to Hattiesburg uh, to cover that ball game Sunday afternoon and then head back to Star Vegas. A lot of windshield time for Justin, uh, but that's the gig, right? I mean, that's the gig. When the Bulldogs are playing, we need to be there. And so we make an effort to be there, uh, and, and we'll be there to ask questions that you guys uh, find of interest, of course. And so be sure and uh, head down there. And even maybe if you can't make it, perhaps buy some tickets uh, to help support this worthy venture between two in-state rivals, Mississippi State, Southern Miss. All right? Awesome. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show, and I loved them long before they loved me. <clears throat> Matter of fact, um, I love the Eat With Us group. You know, whether it be uh, Sweet Peppers Deli, I had that for lunch on Monday, courtesy of Mississippi State. Thank you very much. Uh, the nice turkey sandwich, of course, Bulldog Burger Company, uh, you know, that's the sponsor of this show, man. But I love that entire family of restaurants. In fact, we're going to have our jeanspage.com company Christmas party at Harvey's. And uh, the wife, usually when I ask her where she wants to eat, she normally picks the grill. Yeah, so so many great places to eat. Uh, they know how to feed folks, for sure. But Bulldog Burger Company, they're the folks that are, are paying the freight today, and we need you to go by and support them. The three great locations to serve you, University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Go by, have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you and everybody around you better looking. Get that great restaurant quality hamburger. It'll cure what ails you. And maybe you say, Steve, I don't want to eat that heavy for lunch. Great. Have the BLT salad. Get it grilled. You may like it fried. I like it grilled. With ranch. Get that chocolate shake to go. Or the Nutella shake. I'm kind of partial to that. Get the bread pudding, perhaps. uh, Because, you know, late in the evening, you're going to want uh, something to be a bit of a palate cleanser. Nice to have that uh, Shipwish Donut bread pudding at your disposal. So Bulldog Burger Company, a place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, we've got some football stuff to talk about before we do. Want to get in some baseball stuff. Had a chance to sit down with Chris Simonis this morning for about an hour. It was a great visit, uh, a lot of very candid conversation. You can read the transcript of the on-the-record conversation uh, at jeanspage.com later today. That'll be a VIP feature, uh, as it should be, uh, because of the fact that uh, it's exclusive content to jeanspage.com. Uh, so that's kind of coverage you get. Speaking of exclusive content, pretty cool. Uh, just yesterday, had a chance to speak to Chris Stratton and Nathaniel Lowe, uh, former Bulldog baseball players, current Texas Rangers, getting ready to play the World Series beginning Friday against the Arizona Diamondbacks. So you've got a rooting interest in the series, and maybe you didn't know it. Maybe you're just a casual fan. Maybe when your Braves got put out, Maybe you tuned out, but uh, it'd be great to see those guys uh, win. Had a chance again to get some interviews with them. We posted them yesterday. The Chris Stratton piece was free. Uh, This morning, Nathaniel Lowe's piece went, and that's a VIP feature. But uh, one of the things I thought was rather interesting about Nate is uh, I told him, I said, hey, you know, you kind of made some headlines in these parts when you were mic'd up and you said, go to hell or miss after the uh, national anthem. And he laughed, and he goes, Steve, I have done that for every national anthem since my time at Mississippi State. So some things uh, never change. You can take the boy out of Starkville. You can't take the Starkville out of the boy. And uh, great to catch up with those guys, man. I mean, incredible contributors to Mississippi State baseball and uh, great ambassadors for our program as they have moved forward 
uh, and some very lengthy professional careers. And we wish those guys the absolute best. I'll be pulling for the Texas Rangers. Uh, you know, got some friends that are closely connected with the Texas Rangers. And so my thing is, like, if I can't be completely happy, I want my friends to be happy, right? I, I can find a measure of happiness in seeing my friends succeed. That's the kind of friend that I am. It's the old, the old adage is, uh, if your friends don't want to see you winning, they're not your friends. Yeah, that's true. It's true. And there are a lot of people out there that uh, need to learn the difference between friendship and acquaintanceship. Yeah, that's always true. But, uh, but yeah, it was cool to catch up with them. But uh, back to Lamona's, uh, one of the first questions I asked was about the schedule. We're a little bit later getting the schedule out. Usually we have it out, I don't know, the first or second week of October. And I was a little bit curious. We've had some questions on the message board about it. And I've been told, hey, we're waiting on a contract. Well, Lamona says that all the contracts are back. However, we have a bit of a glitch, as he called it, uh, in the schedule with one of the pro ballparks we're playing now. And, of course, State routinely plays in Pearl and now recently in Biloxi the last few years. And I expect that to go ahead and uh, happen more regularly than not. As Lamontis mentioned, too, I think last year we played more road non-conference games than anybody in the Southeastern Conference. That won't be the case this year. Uh, from what I understand, uh, the first month of the season, uh, we're not leaving home. Yeah, yeah. So those big weekend series – and we know Georgia Southern is one of them. Uh, that's already been released. But a handful of others, and uh, we'll have the full schedule soon. Uh, as you guys are well aware, you know, that's an important aspect of things, knowing when and where we play. But you're going to get a lot of opportunity to see the Diamond Dogs in person at Duty Noble Field uh, before we get into uh, SEC play. And, and the start of our conference schedule is very, very challenging. So I think it's smart for us to kind of get our legs under us a little bit, build some confidence, stack up some wins and get ready to go into a a very challenging SEC schedule. And it's so interesting. Everybody always says, oh, the schedule is so bad. Guys, we play in the Southeastern Conference. You never get any breaks. You you don't. And then when we've had Missouri, we we hadn't taken advantage of that. So, uh, But, yeah, I I thought Chris's uh, overall demeanor was very good and very positive. I asked him specifically about certain players. And uh, the one guy that he kind of brought up on his own was Logan Kohler. Transferred from Memphis – I had some people in uh, pro baseball circles tell me, hey, this is exactly what Mississippi State needs. Uh, he is a solid five, six, seven hole type hitter. He's a guy that's going to make all the routine plays. But after watching him play in several scrimmages this fall, he makes a lot of special plays look awfully routine. And we haven't had that in a while. I mean, when you really think about it, it has been a long time since we have had a really good third baseman. I'm not just talking about with the bat. I'm talking defensively. I mean, you, you go back even some of the state's better teams in recent memory. I mean, you go back to 2016, that team that Nathaniel Lowe was a part of. I mean, uh, Gavin Collins converted catchers to third baseman, and he was serviceable. And you go back 2019, Marshall Gilbert ends up being your third baseman, another converted catcher. And so it's been a while since we've really had a guy that can pick it and stick it over third Kohler is that kind of guy. He's going to make the routine play at a very high proficiency, and he's going to make some plays. And uh, as Mike Nemeth pointed out, does a really good job coming forward, can really play the bunt well, uh, plays well down the line. You know, he doesn't have Brooks Robinson-type range, but, you know, very few do. But uh, Kohler is an interesting piece, and there were several of our fans, I think, that kind of panned uh, the signing of Logan Kohler and uh, the, the the discussion now with pro baseball scouts is, hey, this is a guy that's probably going to 
play his way into uh, a draft position next year. And is it going to be a high position? No, it's not. But this is a guy that has the opportunity to play some pro baseball. So uh, excited to have him. Lamontis also said that he thinks Amani Larry is probably the, the team's leadoff hitter. Amani had a really, really good fall. And uh, Mike and I have discussed that before. And not just hitting the baseball and defensively, you know, just OBP, just being able to get on base and kind of be an irritant over there at first. He's a stolen base threat. Uh, he's a guy when the ball's hitting the gap, he's got a chance to score from first. Uh, you got still kind of figuring out what we're going to do, two-hole and five-hole. Well, you know Dakota Jordan and Hunter Hines, that's three and four right there. And one of the things Lamona said that he looked back at last year, one of his regrets is putting Dakota Jordan in the three-hole right out of the chute. I said that last year. I said, I don't know that a freshman is ready uh, to face an SEC breaking ball. And, of course, it took a little time, but he got rolling. He did, and he's better for it and uh, has had a really good fall and expected him to have a tremendous campaign this year. A lot of pro baseball people think he's a first-round draft pick. Yeah, so if not a first-rounder, certainly will go in day two. But uh, this is a guy that uh, has some real potential. And Hunter Hines was just absolutely rolling. Uh, he dove into the dugout trying to make a play defensively, missed some time for the, with a sore shoulder for a while. But uh, that's not anything that's expected to linger. He did come back and had some pretty big swings for us in the fall. But you got to you know, figure out these pieces. And one of the questions I had, too, was about, hey, you got Marshawn who is uh, just an absolute dirtbag for us and a guy that's competitive in every single at-bat. And then you've got Dylan Cup, a guy that uh, a lot of people believe was a first-round talent. The bat's got to come along a little bit. I thought the bat was better this fall than it was advertised because some people said, you know, Steve, he is an elite defender. He will go down as one of the better shortstops defensively in Mississippi State history, and that is awfully high praise. But the bat itself has got to come on. I thought it was pretty good. And he spent a lot of time with Jay Gotro. Uh, so you begin to think about how does that dynamic work with Amadi Larry? You know, how does that work with David Mershon and Dylan Cup? I mean, you got three guys there, and you feel like Kohler is going to hold down at third. Uh, so what do you do? You know, somebody could be DH from time to time, but, you know, Jackson McKenzie is a guy that uh, has taken some really big swings for this team in the fall. Uh, so we feel like he, he's going to be a guy that could be a real factor in the DH spot. And, you know, you use a DH spot for matchups, right? I mean, it's not just, okay, this is our best non-positional player hitter. You got to, you know, you work lefty-righty. Uh, so we'll see how things go, but it's an interesting problem to have. You got more hitters than you got spots in the order. So how, you know, how do you get enough playing time for everybody? You know, and Jackson McKenzie's a guy that it will be your, your future first baseman uh, once Hunter Hines moves on to pro baseball uh, this summer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Interesting, too, I asked about catchers. As a former catcher, I'm always interested to see. And uh, an interesting comment he made about Justin Parker. You know, Justin Parker's influence on Ross Highfield and how that has been a big part of the developmental piece for Ross is having Parker in his ear during games. You know, because, you know, Ross can't answer him back. But, you know, you call the pitch and say, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do that. you got to do this. You know, uh, so it's not just Cheeseborough that's out there kind of, you know, you know, pushing development. Now you've got Parker involved. And, you know, there's been so many things when I when we think back and we want to conduct the autopsy over the, the pitching woes of the last two years. You know, the thing that we heard so consistently talking to pro baseball folks, and uh, Lamontis kind of touched on it again today, is basically it was kind of a cookie-cutter approach. You know, everybody was kind of the same pitcher. Everybody was basically throwing the four-seamer and then throwing the slider. We didn't do enough 
uh, change of pace. We didn't pull strings. We didn't work our change-ups nearly enough. Parker is huge on a change-up. Uh, so you're going to see a lot more of that. The thing that I found, too, you know, my years of coaching and playing baseball is that if you really want to get, you know, a big hitter uncomfortable with the plate, you got to be able to change speeds. And uh, we were very predictable at times last year. Everybody was throwing out of the same arm slot. Pitch selection was always the same. And, and it's interesting, you know, somebody mentioned something on a broadcast or a radio, and it becomes part of our lexicon as fans. And sometimes there's truth in it, sometimes there's not. But last year, you know, Jay Powell is a guy that I have known for, you know, for a long time and, and have gotten to know him a lot better in recent years. When Jay Powell comes out and says, hey, I don't like this, I don't like that, that's a guy that won a World Series ring, guys. You know, so when Jay is mentioning these things, I pay attention. Obviously, he's played baseball a, lo- a lot better than we have and played a lot longer than any of us have. And so when I hear Jay begin to say, you know what, man, we're getting a little bit predictable with this, and we don't do enough of this, and uh, there's some pitchers in the past I've talked to him off the record about. He's like, you know, this kid here, you know, his slider doesn't really change planes, and there's this. I learn a lot by talking to people that know more than me, right? And there are a lot of folks out there that have a lot to say that don't know a whole lot. And so I just encourage you, you know, stick with people that actually, like, know baseball, guys that actually uh, watch baseball and watch Mississippi State baseball. And I don't just mean on television. You know, there are a lot of people out there that have uh, very, very strong opinions, but that those opinions are not really rooted in anything substantial. So when you get a chance to talk to Jay Powell or even some of our former players, uh, you know, listen, and, and let's be fair about that too, we do have some former players that, um, you know, they get emotional too, right? They get emotional because they love Mississippi State baseball. But uh, when you've got somebody, you know, that can say, hey, here's what we're doing wrong or here's what I'm seeing, I, I'm always willing to listen to that. Even if I don't agree with it, I want to listen. I want to learn. And so the, the talk among pro baseball when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply people about this pitching staff has been very positive uh, we're getting so many positive remarks about Colby Holcomb and Lamonis mentioned that again today and said one of the reasons we didn't have him pitch the first part of fall is we were kind of retooling the delivery and the kid is completely bought in Colby Holcomb is a guy that nearly got drafted out of junior college but wanted to come to school last year it was just kind of one of those things him and Fox just didn't really mix you know just one of those things and uh, Colby is a guy that uh, has a real edge about him, and that's when he's at his best. And you got a big, physical, major league body out there that can really bring it. But a bigger part of it, I think, is just kind of teaching him uh, to channel that competitiveness in a very healthy way. Because we had some times last year he would get frustrated, wouldn't get a call, and just try to throw it by somebody. And the next thing you know, it's a tank. But Justin Parker working with him, retooling the delivery, and working on the middle aspect of things. We really expect him to take a big jump this year. We really feel like Colby Holcomb is a guy that's going to be in the mix on the weekends. Uh, we'll kind of see how things go. I'm curious to see what we do with Nate. Uh, Carson Liggins a guy we were very careful with in the fall, but Cal Stevens was outstanding. Uh, transfer from Purdue. And that's really what you want to hear, right? 
It's like, Steve, yeah, there's, we know we're going to be offensive. And, yeah, there's always a, you know, a new crop of baseball stars that show up that can swing to bat and hit home runs. There's always that. But that hasn't been our issue. It's been defense and it's been pitching. Well, defensively, yeah. You, you go out and you get a first-rounder at shortstop, that's typically going to make you better. You go out and get a proven third baseman, Logan Kohler, it's going to make you better. And you add more competition to the room, and, and you eventually get Amani Larry back as well. And so defensively, I think you look at this team, I think you feel really good about where things stand. I think Bryce Chance has a chance to really, really make a play out in the left. Uh, so that'll be interesting, too. And, and Bryce Chance is a, a really good two-strike and two-out hitter. I don't know with the game on the line, I wouldn't want anybody else out there. You know, I know he's going to put the ball in play, you know, more times than not. But you begin to think about this thing defensively, and I think, hey, you know, Ross really took a jump last year. And all the reviews, whether you talk to Cheese, whether you talk to Lamonas, whoever, you talk to MLB scouts, they'll tell you, Ross Highfield had a tremendous fall. And that's really the important part for us. you got to be strong up the middle, right? You have to be really strong up the middle. Yeah, Ross catcher at middle infield looks to be better. And Lane had been so good for us. And last year just kind of got the yips. But you feel like, hey, this infield defense is going to be outstanding. Should be, you know. And then you look, uh, Connor Isaac is a guy that's uh, made some big plays out in center field. There's Michael O'Brien, a, a freshman that's coming here. And he's worn the yellow jersey multiple times this year. So we should be better defensively. But if we go out there and walk the ballpark, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how good your defense is. I mean, you can't defend the walk. You got to go out there and throw strikes and have people put the ball in play. And, and this fall, and I mentioned this to Lamonas, you know, watching us this fall, you know, we get a ground ball to the left side. I, I assume it's an out every time. And there is a confidence level over there with Cup and Mershon and Kohler that um, I don't know that I had last year. And I thought that, you know, Elaine had a good year in 2021, as you guys are well aware, made the uh, College World Series – all-tournament team, was outstanding down the stretch. I think he won 18 consecutive games without an error. But for some reason last year, things just kind of fell apart. And every time we had a ball hit to the left side last year, whether it be Slate, whether it be Lane, every one of us held our breath. And so there's a statistic, too, that I think is interesting. We had 13 opportunities last year to turn a, a, sec, a, excuse me, a double play on a ground ball hit to third. We did it one out of 13 times. And then you, you drill that math down even more. About half of those times, we ended up giving up multiple runs in an inning. Uh, nothing is more frustrating for a pitcher than when you, you're being pitch efficient and you roll up the ground ball, and uh, whether it be a routine ball or a chance for a twin killing or whatever, and you boot it or you throw it away. Well, now we've got to go through all this all over again. And then you think about you know, the mental aspect of this with this game. Listen, Landon Sims was a unicorn. I mean, there's never a moment it's ever been too big for Landon Sims, the pride of coming Georgia. But not everybody's built that way. You know, you remember when we had the big pop fly that I guess it was against Kentucky that uh, fell between Landon and Lane, Forsyth, and then Sims turns to Lane and says, don't worry, I got it. And we get out of it. When you've got guys that are having to pitch before they're ready, they have not developed that same intestinal fortitude. They just don't have the mental strength to overcome that. And so it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like ground ball hit the third, they're going to throw it away. And then they do. And then it's more pitches you got to throw. And it's high leverage pitches you have to throw because now you got men on base or you have runs in. 
And uh, there are just so many things that have happened. I mean, you, I mean, you go back to even looking at last year, the very first weekend of last year. You know, Kate Smith goes down. There, Nixon goes down. Uh, KC Hunt wasn't quite right. I mean, it's just one of those things like, you know, if we could just get through the first couple of weeks of the season and be healthy and just be able to manage baseball games in a traditional way, got a chance to be really good. And I told you guys, I've upgraded my expectations for Bulldog baseball from cautiously optimistic to simply optimistic. Talking to Chris, I'm probably a tick more. By the time the season gets here, I'll be extremely optimistic. But I'm eager to see how we look when we get back uh, back on the field this spring because we've got some difficult decisions to make. You know, we've got some roster cuts you got to make. got to define some roles. And you've got several guys that are capable of pitching on weekends. Uh, but where do they fit? You know, that's a good problem to have, too. I mean, how many times last year? I mean, I, I go back to the LSU series. That we won in Baton Rouge the year they won an AFL championship. Now, we managed that exceptionally well. Now, Chris didn't get much credit for it. But we managed that situation well. We knew we weren't going to be able to beat Paul Skeens. We just we knew it. And like, oh, I hate giving a game away. It's not about a game. It's about a series, right? Every game is important. But why would we throw Cade Smith against Paul Skeens when, you know, Cade's our best guy? So we throw off against Skeens, and we end up winning the series. We went on Saturday, come back, and uh, went on Sunday. Very dramatic comeback in a wild baseball game. End up doubling a runner off to end the game. But how many guys pitched that weekend that really weren't ready to pitch? That we never thought in a million years, oh, hey, we're going to be down there on the road with a series on the line, and we're going to have to go throw these freshmen on a game-deciding game. And now they'll be better for the experience now. Almost cruel and unusual punishment at times. You know, some of that's got to do with draft and misvaluations and guys not being properly developed and a lot of it to do with injuries. But that's behind us now. And I, I think a lot of the confidence right now around Mississippi State baseball is because of the addition of Justin Parker. Not only did Parker come in and kind of retool with some of the guys that were returning, he goes out there and he gets Cal Steven, he gets Carson Ligon. I mean, he does a good job, gets Gavin Black. You know, so he brings in some players that provide some competition for the guys that were returning. But, you know, really the talk has not been about the newcomers. It's been about the advancements of the returning players. Uh, did have a chance to speak to Justin Parker a little bit before we got out of there today. And he says, man, we have a really good group. We have a really good group, a group who wants to get better. You know, a group that's really bought in. And there have been some changes, and, and uh, I'm excited for you guys to see it. And, of course, there's only so much you can tell in fall baseball. And it's like I share this every year, and sometimes it gets lost in translation. But you can't place too much emphasis on, especially newcomers on the pitching staff, in fall. Now, if they show up and they're all throwing a ton of strikes, they're pounding his own, you say, hey, you know what, hey, this guy's getting out, this guy's going to be able to help us. Uh, but you take a guy like Cam Schulke, right? I mean, this guy's basically got, you know, 10, 12 pitches because he throws from so many different arm slots. Well, you're going to spend the fall seeing what he can do. I mean, it's basically a test drive, right? And so you put him out there, and uh, the guy has been outstanding in the Cape in back-to-back years, and that's the thing you look at and say, hey, can he get SEC hitters out? Well, he's done it in the Cape. And as, as Lamona says, swing and miss has got nothing to do with a wooden bat. It's not like it's exit velo. And so I didn't think Kem Shulke was great in the fall. I thought he had some moments. 
Uh, but then you sit down and you talk about it and say, yeah, we're just trying to figure out what pitch works and what arm slot, what we can consistently throw that will get people out. So if you saw Cam Shulky through in the fall, uh, you got to understand that's basically just a testing ground. And so we get into uh, in, in, the, in the spring, you know, he's probably your jam guy. He's your guy, you know, when you get – you know, with one on and or two out or two on and one out in the seventh inning in, in a one-run ball game, that's the guy you're going to turn to, a guy that can get some wild swings but also get some ground balls. And so, uh, we have some interesting pieces. It's just a matter now of kind of pushing this all together and figuring out how things are going to go. But um, yeah, wanted to talk about this today because we're going to talk extensively about Auburn on Friday. We'll do a, a couple things today, but um, you know. Again, a chance to sit down with Chris and just kind of get his thoughts on you. What are your thoughts about your team and uh, who are some names to watch? Uh, this freshman class that we have brought in is, is extremely talented. Extremely, extremely talented. Uh, and so I think it's important for us to kind of understand, you know, it's kind of reminiscent in some respects to that Nate Lowe team. Now, am I predicting State's going to win the SEC? No, I'm not. But you remember that freshman class, you had Jake Mangum and Hunter Stovall and uh, Luke Alexander. Uh, you know, you had some Cole Gordon. You had some guys that ultimately did some very big things at Mississippi State, and they were able to come in as freshmen and play a limited role for the majority of the season. But you had these stopgap guys that came in, like Jack Kruger and Nathaniel Lowe, you know, that came in that really kind of you know propelled this program forward. We're going to need that this year. Is Logan Kohler going to be Nate Lowe or Jack Kruger? No. No, he's not. We'd love it if he would, but he is a piece. And that was the thing about that 16 team. You know, it's so crazy. I mean, Dakota Hudson comes out of nowhere and ultimately becomes a first-round draft pick. You know, Austin Sexton, an absolutely outstanding college pitcher. and Spent some time in the minor leagues as well. You know, we had some dudes on that team. Reed Humphreys. You know, we had some guys that uh, were highly recruited that just needed more talent around them to kind of add some length to the order, and we got it. We went out, and now you have the portal, and you have some JUCO guys as well. And uh, it's just interesting to see how it all kind of comes together. So am I projecting us to be a top eight national seed? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Am I expecting us to be a much better baseball team than we have been? You better believe it. Uh, you better believe it. I, I, again, I think so much of it centers around the hiring of Justin Parker. I think he upgraded your talent level at pitching. I think he's coming here and working on the developmental piece with some of these younger guys. Uh, and I'm eager to see what he does with Nate and Colby this year because of the fact these guys are ultra competitors, ultra competitors. And so is Justin Parker. Parker is that guy that wants you to pitch with an edge. He wants you to be a mean guy on the mound. He wants you to be a guy that can go out there and shove and kind of rally the team around you. And so I think he has found a couple of compatriots within those guys uh, that are really going to be a central part of this. Now, is Nate a starter? Or is Nate the first guy of the bullpen? I don't know that we know that yet. But I know what I know that Nate wants to win. And I know that Nate has a pro baseball future ahead of him. So it's nice to be able to have that option. There were times last year, of course, we had to kind of thrust him into a starting role because it's what the team needed. Because there were so many times last year, by the time we got into baseball, we were so far behind, you know, the game's over. You know, so – it's nice to have options, and we certainly do, and I believe we've got uh, very good direction in many respects uh, with our pitching staff. And so, again, it's just fall baseball. You know, they don't crown an AFL champion after fall baseball, uh, and everybody feels great about their team after fall baseball uh, for the most part. 
but I, I, I will say there is some confidence around this team that maybe didn't exist last year. Now, 2022 was different. You know, we felt really good going into the season. And then uh, had that voodoo weekend down at Tulane that really kind of rocked us, and I don't know that we ever fully recovered. Uh, but, you know, be that as it may, we're going to play baseball here in about four months, a little less than that. And uh, we'll have some more information for you. I've got uh, hopefully some breaking news about uh, uh, baseball recruiting here a little bit later in the day, waiting on a callback right now. So you can find out about that over at jeanspage.com uh, for all VIP members. Our time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Now, Blair is a mortgage professional. Blair is a guy that has been in the industry for 22 years. Now a part of the Priority One Mortgage family. Uh, be sure and uh, hit him up on his personal cell number, 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. And uh, let them know your needs. Well, you're looking to refinance a home. Well, you're looking to buy a home. And that's really kind of the primary focus right now. I mean, you know, you know it is what it is. When you got to buy a home, you got to buy a home. You could entrust your mortgage needs to a lot of people, but I'm going to tell you, you couldn't, you couldn't do better than Blair Chandler. Top 1% close ratio in the country back to back to back years. It's a guy who knows how to get things done. Also a uh, Bulldog fan, a season ticket holder in multiple sports. It's a place here in town. Uh, so you don't, you know, you know you're keeping it in the family, and I'm always a big proponent of that. Again, that's closewithblair.com. All right. Uh, I'm getting old, and many of you are older than me, and some of you are, are, are maybe know some classic rock stuff, and you don't realize how classic it truly is. So today, we're going to touch on some top rock albums that turned 40 in 2023. And say, Steve, that's old people music. Well, we're old people, but these songs are timeless. And so I'm going to run through here. It's so crazy, too. Like, as I'm doing my research for this list, and here are some that didn't make it, right? Iron Maiden's Peace of Mind album. They didn't get a mix. Mention. You Can't Stop Rock and Roll from Twisted Sister. They didn't make it. Accepts Balls to the Wall. They didn't make it. Uh, Black Sabbath's Born Again. Didn't make it. Motorhead released an album that year. Another perfect day. Saxon, then Lizzie. Then Lizzie, of course, was getting to the end. Uh, Headhunter from Crocus, I've never been a fan. I know many of you are. Uh, Slayer had the album, Show No Mercy. Pantera, yeah, Pantera. When Before he was Dimebag Daryl, he was Diamond Daryl. The album Metal Magic, you can find it. You didn't know that Pantera used to be a hair band. They were. Grim Reaper, See You in Hell, Y&T's Mean Streak, Fast Way. We talked about them recently. Rad also had a, uh, the first EP, our first... Uh, View of Tawny Katane as a uh, rock vixen, as it was her leg that those little mice were uh, crawling. Lita Ford dropped out for blood that year. Zebra, of course, the pride of New Orleans. Europe, debut album. And Adrian Vandenberg, of course, who um, became a big part of Whitesnake. Uh, his band, Vandenberg, released uh, Heading for a Storm, which is an underappreciated album. So uh, a lot of albums here that uh, many of you may know didn't make our list. So let's get to the list. Oh, one more classic album that didn't was Flick of the Switch from ACDC. We just talked about them last week. but um, So they didn't make it. But here we are. Number 10. Now, some of you will argue and say, Steve, this is too low. And maybe you're right. Maybe you are. But I felt like because some of the albums released were kind of peak albums for some of the artists, 
This was not the peak album for Metallica, but it's Seek and Destroy off the Kill 'Em All record. And uh, back in, that was like before, at the very end of the vinyl craze before it all came back around. You know, we, we stopped buying records and started buying cassettes because they were easier to carry and we could listen to them uh, on our Walkmans. Music became mobile in the 80s. So Seek and Destroy, number 10, off the 1983 release from Metal Force Records, Kill 'Em All. All right, number nine, it's Dio, Ronnie James Dio. That's right. Nobody else is talking about Dio, right? But it's Holy Diver. Can you believe that was released in 83? Like, well, Steve, yeah, 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 I remember seeing it, yeah. The song's been covered and been, and been hits for other bands since then, but uh, nobody ever did it better than Ronnie James Dio, God Rest His Soul. Number eight, this was a very interesting album for Styx. Really kind of began the divorce between Tommy Shaw and Dennis DeYoung and those guys. Um, this is basically a rock opera about how rock music is outlawed. And, um, you know, Don't Let It End, of course, is the final track on this album. But we went with Mr. Roboto, which was a huge hit for Styx. And, of course, this is coming off Rock in the Paradise. It was a great album. Uh, but they quit being more of a rock band and started really being more of a uh, you know, rock opera type thing. And Tommy Shaw ultimately left the band over creative differences with Dennis. But uh, an interesting album, to say the least. Number seven, uh, they were back. They weren't wearing makeup anymore. It's Kiss's Lick It Up. And we're going to go with the title track, Lick It Up. Uh, and by the way, that Sticks album was called Kilroy Was Here. Uh, but uh, Lick It Up, we're going title track there with Kiss. And, um, you know, Kiss really had a resurgence in the 80s once you got on MTV. A lot of people kind of labeled them as a 70s band. And then Ace and Peter leave and uh, Paul and, and Gene continue. And they bring in Bruce Culloch and Eric Carr, God rest his soul, and uh, reinvented themselves and really reached new heights. And it pulled the back catalog with them. MTV was great for Kiss. They were great on television. Number six, really more of a traditional rock and roll band. And uh, former punk singer, became a solo artist, Billy Idol, and we went with Rebel Yell. Did you know Rebel Yell came out in 83? Yeah. I, I remember Rebel Yell. Like My, my big memory is uh, from The Legend of Billie Jean. Remember that movie? If, if you young people have not seen The Legend of Billie Jean, and yes, it's a little bit cheesy. Yes, it is. Most movies in the 80s were. But The Legend of Billie Jean with Heaven Slater was amazing. Filmed down in Corpus Christi, Texas. Be sure and check that out. Some cool things. Cool things in that movie. Very much a uh, youth rebellion. But the Rebel Yell with Christian Slater. Remember that? Christian Slater running through the mall. Number five, sticking with more traditional rock and roll, it's ZZ Top. Eliminator came out in 83. A lot of people believe that's the best ZZ Top record of all time. I think a lot of it had to do because of the fact that um, I think MTV boosted those guys too. They were a great live band. They kind of cut their teeth on the road, and a lot of people loved them. And all of a sudden, you, they're on MTV, and they they were they were kind of a, stuck out like a sore thumb at times. And the next thing you know, they've got that great car, got the hot chicks in there, and uh, people are like you know I want to I want to grow a beard out and be like those guys. I like fast cars. I like good looking women. But Give Me All Your Lovin', that's your number five song. Give Me All Your Lovin' from the Eliminator album. That's your number five track today. Now, I think we could probably argue over the top four here. Uh, because all these albums, I think, in many respects, were really breakthrough-type albums for their respective artists. 
and we're going to start number four. Even though High and Dry is really good, it did not have the notoriety in America until after Pyromania and Hysteria came out, and then people who loved those albums went back and bought High and Dry. High and Dry is really good, but MTV and the fact that we had Z-Rock Radio and things like that, people were more likely to play these songs, and Def Leppard was a safe band. You know, Def Leppard didn't really do a lot of things with the occult or things like that. So that you know, a lot it was mom friendly. You know, before there were soccer moms, you know, there was just regular moms. But moms could listen to Def Leppard and be okay with it. And uh, so off Pyromania, and there's so many great ones you can go with. You know, Full One, of course, is great. Rock of Ages. Uh, but we're gonna go with Photograph with Phil Collins. Great opening riff. It is probably it. Three seconds into that song, you know exactly what it is. And, uh, you know, Rick Allen, those guys were phenomenal. And then Rick Allen had the car accident, lost his arm. And everybody thought the band was ruined. But not only did they continue, they brought Rick Allen back and had this uh, amazing kit that allows him to uh, to play a lot of his parts with, um, with his feet. Pretty phenomenal. All right, number three. A record that I think really changed American rock music. And I don't know that this band gets enough credit. I think some of it is songwriting. The performance value is really good. It's a band that was originally uh, claimed uh, Randy Rhodes as a member. And then he was replaced by Carlos Cavazos. And I don't know if it's just because Carlos had, uh, you know, blonde hair and flying Vs. And they were looking for just a uh, fill-in for Randy. But uh, Carlos, outstanding, also spent some time with Rat. But Metal Health, man, when that album came out, it was everywhere. And those of you that have played the wrestling games or whatever, that you know, it's the song Metal Health is on there too. We're going with the title track, Quiet Riots, Metal Health. Bang your head. Because Metal Health will drive you mad. And I remember going to this rock music seminar when I was a kid, you know, and everybody was trying to tell us to burn our records and, you know, uh, that we were all going to hell because uh, we, we wanted to grow a mullet. And if you wore denim jeans and concert shirts and Reebok high tops that, uh, you know, you were part of a gang or something, it was like all this all this morality that was pushed about entertainment. You know, it's like, oh, well, you can't listen to this. And, and around the country, they'd have these big, uh, you know, record-burning, you know, get-togethers, and people would bring their cassettes, and they would throw it all out there. Guys, I mowed too many yards to throw my stuff away. I don't know what you guys did. I mean, I'll go out there and cut grass and rake leaves, and I'd go buy – all the cassettes I could possibly get, and I still have so many of them. I can't dare to part with them. I never listen to them, but I just can't. I put too much time and effort into it. All these years later, I still have those cassettes. I don't even know if they work anymore. I don't need them to listen to music. But I earned the money required to purchase them, so I'm not going to throw them away. I didn't. I didn't throw them away back then. Not throwing them away now. But um, there were a lot of people that said, "Oh, you know, this is just you know, this music's of the devil," and you know. And I don't know, maybe it was. I don't know. But somehow we've all survived. We've come out the other side of it. And uh, these bands and these songs are still timeless. I, I think about this stuff regularly when I'm traveling. You know, when I'm by myself. You know, when the wife is with me, we have conversation. But uh, when I'm by myself, I think about, you know, how far we have come with the acceptance of rock and roll. I mean, you remember Elvis Presley. You know, couldn't be on television being filmed from the waist down. And now you look at some of the stuff that is celebrated in music today, which I think is a good thing, even though I don't like all of it. There's a lot of these things out there, I think to myself, that, you know, I can't believe that a producer somewhere said, hey, look, this is acceptable, let's put it out here, because everything is so watered down these days. But we went from Elvis not being able to be filmed below the waist 
to uh, the record burning stuff, you know, and the book burning stuff. You know, it's like, oh, well, we're going to legislate morality. And, you know, listen, I believe in a legal system, but I, I don't think you should ever take away people's right to choose when it comes to entertainment. You know, if you don't want to watch something or listen to something, then don't watch it, don't listen to it. You're like, oh, we're, we're protecting the children. You know, well, are we? You know, I mean, did it really hurt us that um, you had a bunch of dudes get up there and, you know, you know, long hair and makeup and, and uh, you know, leopard skin pants or whatever? I mean, did, did, did it really cause the decline of Western civilization? I don't think that it did. I think a lot of that, too, I think the more people railed against it, the more attractive it became. You know, it's just like, you know, when you got that teenage daughter and she's dating the guy you don't really like, and the more you complain about it, the more attractive he becomes. I think that's one of the things. There was this uh, blowback effect. We talked about the PMRC recently, had a list of the uh, the Filthy 15, that uh, Tipper Gore, you know, her husband, Al, invented the Internet, uh, put this whole thing together about, you know, put the warning labels on there. All it did was made us go buy those records. That's all it did. And so you got to be careful. Be careful what you wish for. Number two, probably the pride of Electra Records at the time. It was the second album, the sophomore album, and really the breakthrough album for Molly Crew. Too Fast for Love, you know, came out. It was great. Production value of that album wasn't great, and they have remastered it several times, which tells me that uh, the original masters are just not in very good shape. There's a, there, there are some, some great songs, but some holes in the production of that album. But they got it right. They put some money behind Motley with Shout at the Devil. And again, I, I point out that's Shout at the Devil, not with the Devil, not for the Devil, not in support of the Devil, not as a fan of the Devil, but at the Devil. Uh, and so I think we've used just about every track at some point on a top ten list, except for this one, which was at the time my favorite song on the album. It's 10 Seconds of Love. That's changed a lot over the years. Uh, there's some days that uh, Knock 'em Dead Kid's my favorite, and then there's, uh, you know, Too Young to Fall in Love and Looks a Kill. But this is a Motley album that is legendary. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I get a little tired of all of the uh, social media moles out there that, um, like, you know, they'll, they'll put things out there. They'll, they'll go dig up some old washed-up club guitar player and say, oh, he was a uh, member of Motley Crue when he wasn't. And they say, oh, yeah, he was – oh, well, he really wasn't in Motley. He was in, like – two bands before Motley with Tommy Lee. And then, oh, well, he got out because he didn't like Nicky Six. Well, he got out because he wasn't talented enough. I mean, where are you now? I mean, Motley Crue, I mean, look how many, you know, tens of millions of dollars they've made over the years. Out there wrapping up a stadium tour, about to have new music from them, you know. And then there's just some dude out there that probably would do an interview for a warm meal. And then it brings out all of this angst. People are like, oh, I wish Molly would give it up. Well, I don't. And again, going back, you don't have to listen. I plan to listen. But there you go, number two. But number one for me, the best rock album from 83. We mentioned Randy Rhodes earlier. Randy was putting on this album. And there are so many people, even from my generation, that think he was. This Bark at the Moon from Ozzy Osbourne. That's the beginning of the Jake E. Lee era. And I, I will die on this hill. And every time I say this, I get... A barrage of comments saying, Steve, you're right. And others say, Steve, you're out of your mind. The peak years of the Ozzy Osbourne experience were when Jake E. Lee was the guitar player. Now, am I saying Jake is a more proficient player than Randy was? Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just telling you, and maybe it was because of MTV. Maybe it was because of management. Maybe because of the, uh, the songs were better. I don't know. 
which is actually a uh, an Ozzy song. I don't know. But the Jakey Lee years were the best Ozzy years, period. Love the Zach Wild era too, but music was changing. Ozzy Osbourne was never a bigger star in the rock music world than when he was in the early to mid-80s. Simple as that. And I go back and I listen to Bark at the Moon regularly. I mean, it's like, I, I don't know how anybody can listen to Bark at the Moon and not be inspired to want to go pick up a guitar. It's phenomenal. And there were a lot of people, of course, after Randy died in a, a tragic plane crash, God rest his soul. And uh, it's interesting, if you go to uh, Backstage Music here in Starkville, you can see the last known picture of Randy Rhodes on stage in that music store. Yeah. How about that? A Mississippi State student went to Knoxville and took a, snuck a camera in. They like you know, back in those days, you know. Again, things have changed. Nowadays, everybody videos the show or streams the show or whatever. We had to sneak in cameras and recorders if we wanted to bring anything away from the performance. So a Mississippi State student snuck over there and got close enough to Randy Rhodes and took a picture with him on stage. And it's framed at backstage music right here in Starkville, Mississippi. How about that? It's pretty cool. But yeah, so everybody thought when Randy died, well, you know, Ozzy's going to take a dip, but instead they go out and they get Jackie, Jackie Lee, who also spent some time in Rat. I think you and I, you spent time in Rat. I spent time in Rat. I think everybody did at some point. Randy Rhodes did. It's crazy. I think Jake did too. Uh, but there's so much of that, you know, that, um, you know, those bands out in Hollywood, it was kind of an incestuous deal, right? But uh, yeah, that's the, to me, that's the one. The Bark at the Moon album, 83, is the best one. And uh, again, I just contend to you, that there's just so many passionate opinions about this. Guys, we can love Randy Rhodes and Jake E. Lee. We have the ability and the capacity to love them both. We don't have to pick a side. It's not like a state and Ole Miss thing, right? We can love them both. It's not a Mike Wright, Will Rogers thing. We can love them both too, right? You understand what I'm saying? It's like, it's so interesting how people will set up these camps, and then it's like you look up and it's like, well, why are they disparaging Randy Rhodes? I'm like, I don't know. If, if you ever thought for one second that, um, you know, maybe Randy Rhodes isn't the real deal, uh, go listen to Over the Mountain. Go listen to that. Flying High Again. Go listen to that. And tell me if you can replicate that in any way whatsoever. Most people can't even people that are proficient in guitar. There's just a feel and tone that Randy Rhodes possessed. It's completely different. But Jakey Lee was a very suitable replacement. Pretty incredible. And what's interesting, too, I may have shared this with you before, maybe not, but Zach Wilde, once he joined the band with Ozzy, after uh, Jake was fired by Sharon, you know, Jake had a bit of a drinking problem. And um, anyway, so in Guitar Magazine, Zach Wilde was interviewed, and... Um, he said he was the third luckiest guy in the world. And so, you know, the implication there is, well, it's because he's playing with Ozzy. There was Randy, and it was Jake, and now there's Zach. How sweet is that? And he says, no, no, it's not that. Because if you know anything about Zach Wilde, you know he has a ridiculous sense of humor. He goes, no, I'm the third luckiest guy behind Pee Wee Herman and Dan Quayle. Of course, Dan Quayle, of course, uh, former vice president. Uh, that ran with uh, with George Bush, the original, George Herbert Walker Bush. And so I thought that was worth sharing with you today. But um, anyway, it, I think people say, Steve, it makes me feel old. It makes me feel like, you know, we're still, the fact that we can still celebrate this music, and it's not like I'm having to dig these old tracks up and say, hey, do you remember this? 
I mean, these are songs that are still played on the radio. They're timeless. And 40 years later, we're still talking about them and really having very passionate debates about them. And I think, again, it's a celebration uh, of the music that we grew up with. So for you young bucks, get educated, listen to this, uh, kind of get up there and uh, impress your, fa- your parents, your, your dad more than likely. But uh, don't let mom fool you. You know, like I know today she drives around in her minivan or her SUV and, you know, she's got her, um, you know, her bumper stickers on the back and everything and it's grandma life or whatever. Don't let her fool you, though. Don't let her fool you. Because back in the late 80s and early 90s, mom had on her acid wash jeans and her Keds and her tightly fitted T-shirt and a ribbon in her hair and way too much makeup. And uh, she was fawning over these dudes, man. I'm just telling you. I know. Don't let her fool you. Don't. That's why your dad married her. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out and let us know. best way to do that is to find Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. You can find our great list on Spotify on that same handle. I'm on all forms of social media at ScoutSteveR. So be sure and give me a follow and check in. And uh, we, we do consider your ideas, and we do a lot of them. And sometimes it takes us a while. But sometimes I don't do a list because I can't do it justice. Uh, matter of fact, uh, this Friday, Roy is putting your list together because, uh, you know, we're trying to get on track again with the, uh, you know, the, the opposing coaches' favorite artist thing. So if you know what Hugh Freeze's favorite artist is, which was published, Roy will do that list. And so we'll have that ready to go. Uh, on Friday because it is a country music thing and you know I just I, I'm not the country music guy that many of you are nothing against it just not my thing uh, just like you guys um, you know probably don't know you know you know British rave music the way that I do right so nevertheless we look forward to uh, to bringing you that list on Friday and uh, with that let's get ready for the next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmark. Campus Bookmark is a Starkvillian institution they have been here forever and a day providing great merchandise to a great fan base. Starkville born and bred, Campus Bookmark. Make it to town next time, go by and see them neatly positioned on the backside of campus. Turn off 182 right there at the Trooper Station. You can follow that on around like going to campus right before you get there. Take the left at Campus Bookmark and go in and peruse their fine selections. If you can't make it to town, or perhaps game day is not a good shopping day for you, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a lawyer Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. All right, I, Tuesday is my opponent day. I spend a lot of time on Tuesdays researching the opponent's uh, transcribe the opposing head coach's press conference. Interestingly enough, and I'm, I noted this in the article yesterday, uh, Hugh Freeze met with the media on Monday for 23 minutes and 30 seconds. He did not get a single question about Mississippi State. Not one. Let that sink in for a second. He did make one mention of Mississippi State and didn't call us by name, but just mentioned how chaotic we are on defense. There's been so much questioning about the direction of this Auburn team. Now, is it, is it fair to question Hugh Freeze at this point one year in, you know, six, seven games in? I think probably not. I think the guy's got a body of work you look at and you can say, but Steve, why are you defending Hugh Freeze? Well, I'm just defending good common sense. 
But offensively, they have not been at all what they expected to be. They don't run tempo uh, like they have historically under Hugh Freeze. And he says a lot of that's he's trying to protect his defense where he's thin in some areas. And uh, as one Auburn scribe told me, you know, Steve, basically instead of going three and out in 90 seconds, we're going three and out in three minutes. Uh, It has not been a good stretch. As we documented on Monday, the offensive numbers for Auburn are just simply not good. Tuesday afternoon, the uh, Auburn players, and there were several of them that had a media opportunity, and and many of them were not asked about Mississippi State either. Now, the linebacker, Asante, was, and he gave a very good detailed answer about uh, they're preparing for both Will Rogers and Mike Wright. There is still some question about that. I fully expect Mike Wright to start. Uh, I think uh, Will could be back for Kentucky, but I don't know that. Like, he could be. You know, we'll see. But uh, they're going to go through practice this week, and they'll make a determination based on the health of everybody involved. But the majority of the conversation about Auburn football centers around the two-quarterback system. And uh, Freeze himself and Robbie Ashford and Peyton Thorne both said, you know, schematically things are very different when each guy's in the game. The production has been pretty much equal. And we're going to detail that out in greater detail on Friday, but they have a real quarterback problem there. And I don't mean a quarterback controversy. They just don't have a quarterback. Peyton Thorne, of course, transfers in from Michigan State, and people thought, oh, well, this is a big coup. This will get things turned around. He, it has not worked out at all. And uh, Philip Marshall's a guy, that, you know, a tempo guy, very, very much up tempo, and uh, tries to catch you uh, with, uh, you know, let's say it's a third and short. And you bring on, um, you know, a dime package, and then all of a sudden uh, they get the first down and get you caught with the wrong group on the field, and they go sprinting down the field and don't give you time to substitute. And then they, they rattle off three or four plays like it's a soccer game or something. You know, it's a much, much different dynamic. But this offense has been very much, you know, throttled. Is, maybe that's the right word, but certainly smothered by poor quarterback play. And it's like you look, people complain so much about our quarterback situation. You look at the one at Auburn, it is 10 times worse. It's a very one-dimensional offense. And so one of the things they're doing is implementing some 13, 14, uh, 22-type personnel, uh, running a lot of tight end formations out there, similar to some of the things that Dan Enos did at Arkansas the first go-around. And a lot of it's to run the stretch play. They want to get some additional blockers out there. They want to get wide on you. They want to get downhill on you. They want to implement the quarterback run. And Thorne has been somewhat successful at times, uh, but a lot of times that's late in ball games. But uh, this Auburn defense has some dudes, especially in the secondary. There's not a lot of depth. And as Free says, you know, is that the right approach? You know, to just kind of play ball control and save your defense? Yeah, maybe it's not. And I do think we'll see more tempo this weekend. I think they'll try to shake some things up. But I do expect a very low-scoring game. I think both teams want to run the football. They want to limit possessions. And I think if you look at what we did last week, it is apparent, especially in hindsight, Mississippi State wanted to shorten the game against Arkansas. And they did. And won. Didn't win with enough style points to give anybody any confidence, but they won. I suspect the game plan will be somewhat similar this week. I think you're going to have Auburn and Mississippi State both wanting to run the football and shorten the game and limit possessions. 
uh, to save maybe some wear and tear on the defense and kind of keep the other team off the field. Not that either offense is especially explosive. But I think this is going to be a game similar to last week. I think there will be some more points. Now, one of the things I wanted to point out, too, you know, when you go back and you watch the game, uh, Mike Wright's first big run nearly went for a touchdown. We, we didn't talk about that. We spent a lot of time talking about the one that got called back on the blindside block. Um, but Mike is about to break through, and somebody grabs him by his towel and are able to slow him down and eventually corral him there. And so you start thinking about that, about explosiveness with this offense. When Mike is under center or behind center, more times than not, many of those explosive chunk plays are going to come with him on the quarterback keeper. Now, people are going to spy him some, and I I think that's a difficult thing to do, you know, when you've got a guy that is as athletic as he is. You know, what do you do? Do you you bring a safety? Do you put an extra uh, corner on the field and let him play uh, the nickel? I don't know. But you're not going to spy Mike Wright with a linebacker because he's not going to be able to beat him to the edge. And so I think that, again, as bad as last week was from a scoring standpoint, I think you realize if you go back and kind of take the emotion out of it, there were some big plays to be had within the, the confines of that ball game that could have been and should have been very favorable to Mississippi State. Uh, I firmly believe if we go out there and score 20 points, we're going to win the game. And then one of the questions becomes then, let's say Will Rogers is ready to return for Kentucky. And Mike Wright's 2-0. Even if the offense has looked anemic, you can say, you know what, yeah, but he won. And so then you ask yourself, what, what do you do? You know, when Will Rogers is in the game, you know, we, we have more of the threat of pushing the ball down the field. And Kevin Barbe mentioned when we met with him on Monday evening that we've got to be able to do that. We've got to be able to push the ball down the field. And, you know, Mike is capable of making some intermediate throws. Uh, there are some times he can, you know, he can throw it down the field outside the numbers. Uh, but he's not a real vertical passing threat. But in order to get those backers to be honest and not just kind of uh, play a, in a heavy box, we've got to be able to, uh, to hit those intermediate passing uh, opportunities between the linebackers and the safeties. And that more times than not involves crossing routes. Uh, and times it's post. But we've got to be able to hit those passes. We've got to be able to keep those linebackers in conflict. And that in turn will kind of open up uh, the quarterback run a little bit more. And the more the quarterback run is available, I think the better it is for Woody Marks and Pittman and everybody else because you've got to account for the quarterback. So I think a lot of that will be a a, a big dynamic in all this as we kind of get ready to go play at Auburn. Uh, I don't think they're expecting to score many points in Southeastern Conference play. They haven't. They haven't scored more than 21 points against an SEC opponent. You say, but Steve, we we only scored seven. That's correct. That's why I think it's going to be a very low-scoring game. And I believe it's one of those games, as I told Bo Bounds this morning, I think the team that makes the most mistakes is going to lose. And that, that's not a hot take. My point being is I think that's, that's all about turnovers. You, know, you, you give up a pick six or you, uh, you know, turn it over deep in your own territory and you give a struggling offense a short field is to give them life. I think when you look at this Auburn offense, and I'm sure it's kind of the same way on the Mississippi State side of things, other than the fact that Mike Wright is a more explosive playmaker than either Robbie Ashford or uh, Peyton Thorne. You know, Robbie Ashford's a guy that, uh, hey, you get him outside and uh, let him stretch his legs a little bit, he can't hurt you. Uh, But they're very one-dimensional. And I think they're they're one of these teams, if field position is going to be so key. If you push those guys back inside the 20, 
what are the chances of them kind of nickel and diamond you all the way down the field consistently without making a mistake? And you go back and look last week against Ole Miss, you know, they decide to run the uh, double pass and Ole Miss blows it up. You got, I mean, it's a very poorly designed play. And you throw it out there and there's nowhere to go with the football, you got to throw it away. I mean, you can't just sit there and get hit and take a big loss and put you well behind the chains. And, and Auburn was driving at that point. And they got a little bit greedy there, got a little bit too cute. And next thing you know, the drive dies. And so I think if you're Mississippi State, yeah, you want to rush the passer, but you also want to contain the passer. And as David Turner said last night, you got to do a great job staying in your rush lanes. Can't get out of your rush lanes and open up passing lanes and running lanes for athletic quarterbacks. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how we handle that. I just don't think that Auburn is going to be able to sustain a lot of consistency on offense against this defense, uh, especially when I, they don't have the playmakers to exploit the biggest weakness. When you think about all we've talked about all year at Mississippi State football, the safeties were the biggest concern. Well, the safeties aren't as big a concern when you're not playing a team that can threaten you deep then you can walk those guys up there. And to be honest with you, Auburn has not been especially dynamic at wide receiver. So at times you can get by with some man coverage there. You can maybe shade a safety over at times, but I think you can be a little more aggressive with your safeties uh, when it comes to uh, run defense. You know, Sean Preston, big game last week, and Sean's having the best year of his career at Mississippi State. I don't know that people expected that. You know, we, we were hoping for it, but uh, you're having that now. you got Sean Preston – uh, named to pro football focus as, uh, you know, first team of the week, you know, for his play last week. And, uh, again, a guy that really loves playing football. And uh, Brett Dewhurst mentioned that last night. Dewhurst said this is a guy that really likes to get out there and, and run around and hit people, which is a prerequisite of the position. But, yeah, the more that I look at Auburn and the more you kind of get a sense of the tone of everybody's discussions at Auburn, I think you realize they are probably more worried about this game than we are. Of course, they've lost four in a row. We've won two in a row. And somehow that fact is lost on many of our fans. And so, yes, Steve, we, we weren't impressive, yeah, but we still won. We did. And, and, again, the Western Michigan game, even after we, we walk out of the stadium, it's like, well, at least we won, right? You walk out of Fayetteville and you say, at least we won, but it felt like a bigger deal and a bigger win because it's an SEC road game. And it calmed down some of the rhetoric. And as I've told some people on Mississippi State campus, you win this week, a lot of that talk kind of calms down because people want to have a reason to believe. You've got to give people a reason to believe in this coaching staff, in this offensive scheme. And that's the thing, too, about the Western Michigan game offensive. We played exceptionally well. Now, some of that's about the quality of competition. But the offense played exceptionally well against Western Michigan, and then Will gets hurt, and we take a huge step back. And – you know, nobody plans for that. You can say what you want to about, well, everybody prepares as if they're going to be the starter. Um, well, that sounds good in a press conference. It does. But you don't allocate the equal number of reps for your number two and number three quarterbacks. You don't. So you don't get the same level of preparation. No matter what everybody says, it's more about what everybody does. And so, now, you know, last week Mike Wright took the lion's share of the reps now, were we vanilla last week? You better believe we were. And I think it's one of those things, too, where, they're, hey, let's not open it up and make a mistake here. And we do on our very first pass attempt. And then the defense basically pitches a shutout the rest of the way. I think this is a game, too. I think if you've read the uh, – I think Kevin Skarbinski and, and a couple guys with Al.com have had stories about how the honeymoon is over for Hugh Freeze at, Old, at uh, Auburn. 
And I don't know if that's fair. But I know that uh, the Auburn family is very, very patient and very, very supportive of that team. And they booed their team off the field. Similar to what we saw last week at Arkansas. So this is a game, I think, if you can get off to a good start. Let's say you win the first quarter. We didn't last week, and we still managed to win the game. But a 3 nothing game is basically a tie, right? When you're one play away from taking a lead, so it's not like you're chasing the game. But I believe if State can get out to a good start here, I think that crowd will turn on Auburn. And I think there are a lot of people out there that were really on the fence about hiring Hugh Freeze in the first place, and he doesn't have the players yet to run his scheme. So I think there are a lot of people that are like, you know what, I'm just disenchanted with all this. And so it's important for us to get off to a good start. And I think a big part of that is going to be Mike Wright's quarterback runs. Now, interestingly enough, I've been able to confirm Jake Weir was the number two quarterback last week, but Chris Parson was available. And Parsons just not quite ready yet, and people need to understand that. And if he needed to play, he absolutely could have played. Is he 100%? No, he's not. But he was available. He did dress. And I know some people have kind of raised an eyebrow about that. You know, the SEC has limits on the dress list. They have limits on the travel list. Do you really think we'd take two quarterbacks over there that were not able to play? Will we take up two, you know, seats on the plane Two seats at the table for two guys that we know couldn't play. Are you going to bring Will Rogers and Chris Parson? Chris Parson dressed and fully participated in warm-ups. And, again, I am told by sources within the program that he was available to play. Not that it should matter, right? Mike Wright was a quarterback. And, I, and we are so incredibly enamored with the, the quarterback depth chart. It's like, oh, well, who's our who's QB2 this week? Well, how many games did we play to back up quarterback historically? Not very many. And so let's throw our support behind Mike Wright or Will Rogers or whoever's under center this week, and I fully expect it to be Mike Wright. And let's not worry about behind him. You know, well, who's our backup kicker? Yeah. You know, it's, it, things like that, it's like we major in such minor things at times. Is Mike Wright capable of leading this team to Auburn and getting a win? He absolutely is. This is not a great Auburn team. This is not a great Auburn offense. And I think there could be a special teams play or a defensive play that's going to turn tight in this ballgame. I think it's going to be a very nip-and-tuck game, but I think, I think if State can get out of the gate strong, I think you can manage this thing pretty well. And, again, I think, again, both teams are going to want to you know, shorten the game. You get a lead in the game and you start making them chase the game a little bit, and they struggle to pass protect. They've struggled with the forward pass. They want to just come out there and run the football. And if you can get a lead and kind of, you know, get them out of their game plan a little bit, then I think that lends itself to uh, believing that Mississippi State is more than capable of winning this game. Uh, I'm going to pick State to win the game. And uh, I think, you know, the more that I learn about Auburn, the more I realize how this quarterback thing, they're just, they have not been able to find any semblance of rhythm. Now, if they come out early in the ball game and we have a bust in the secondary and that crowd gets involved, it may be a difficult day. Maybe a very difficult day. Because, you know, I think you start getting these, uh, well, here we go again type things. This is, I mentioned last week on Friday's show about Arkansas. You know, everybody talks about, well, you know, they've played all these games into the fourth quarter and they've all just been decided by one score. And then what happened last week? They played the game into the fourth quarter and they lost by one score again. You know, there's a trend there. 
you know, they're not capable of making the plays late in fourth quarters to win games. And that's happened now, what, for five straight weeks? Or I guess the art, the A&M game was a little bit elongated, but you understand my point. You know, we, we just want to get the game to the fourth quarter. Well, that's great. You know, our goal should be to win the game. You know, it's like, hey, we just want to keep it close and then hopefully somebody can make a play. Well, no, you got to put people in positions to make plays. And I think right now Mississippi State is in a better position to make plays offensively than Auburn is. I think Mike Wright obviously first starts. You want to kind of button things up a little bit. I think you're going to see the playbook opened up a little bit more this week. And I think you're going to see Mike Wright do some things that he hadn't done on film, at least not at Mississippi State. And if we can protect the football, we're going to go win a college football game on Saturday. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Just Google it. I mean, I, you know, just Google it. But uh, be sure and book through the Evolve website. Yes, you can book through Airbnb. Yes, you can book through VRBO. But if you book through the Evolve website, we can save you 10%. Promo code BSR10. BSR10 for the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Uh, not a better place in Starkville to stay if you have a large group. Yeah, you can go out there and book five hotel rooms, or you can save a ton of money and go to the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. And you can cook there. You can go buy your beer or your sodas or your waters and uh, buy them at Walmart or buy them at some local grocery store and then put them in that very expansive refrigerator. You also have a couple of wet bars for your convenience. You control the TV. And how fun is it to have everybody under one roof? You know, last weekend we were in Arkansas and had all my kids together, my grandkids together. We got together and congregated as a family. And uh, it was wonderful to be able to have all these meals together. I mean, if everybody's fragmented in the hotel room, it's like, hey, well, where's so-and-so? Oh, they're in the shower, you know. Well, let's all meet down in the lobby at 1 o'clock, and the next thing you know, it's 1.30, and you can't find somebody. Oh, well, they already left and went here. You know, let's just all be together. And whether, whether it's a family event or maybe it's a business event, maybe you're, you're having to work in the Golden Triangle, and how cool would it be to have your team all under one roof and you could meet there at the dining room table, you know, instead of having, okay, well, everybody's in hotel rooms, let's all meet down here. You know, it can be a much more relaxing environment. And so, again, Stark Vegas Clubhouse, check them out and use promo code BSR10 through the Evolve website uh, to book that very expensive property, you know, five bedrooms, so many great amenities there. Got the big fire pit area outside. Uh, if you're looking to come to Starkville and be able to just kind of relax in a very stress-free environment, this is it. No, no neighbors around. You can just kind of kick back and enjoy having a good time and not worry about people just kind of wandering up and joining your party. That's a Stark Vegas clubhouse. All right, let's uh, spend a little time here kind of looking and see how we're doing. Uh, you know, that kind of wrap up here on Wednesday's show. We'll start with the point spreads. Uh, as you guys know, these things tend to fluctuate throughout the week, and it's a very, very, very thin schedule within the Southeastern Conference. As, uh, you know, many of these non-conference games are are out of the way until uh, you know the next to last week. But A um, and M currently favored by 14, 14 points by most books, and uh, that'll be an interesting game. I think that A and M defense is legit, and Spencer Rattler again just kind of you know having to do it all, just not enough around them. You know, Legat, of course, is having a big year, but, again, they're just, they can't run the football. And every show I say it, that's a loss we're going to look back and really, really be upset about. Uh, Georgia and Florida, the world's largest cocktail party in Jacksonville. Georgia, 14-and-a-half point favorites by most, book, most books. 
But with the way that Georgia's played this year, I mean, can you really feel confident with a double-digit spread? I don't know. You know Florida's going to give their best opportunity, give them their best shot. Uh, The Auburn state line is still kind of hanging in there, six and a half points. I think it may come down before uh, the weekend. I think six and a half is a bit much, to be honest with you. Uh, Not that I'm going to go put money on the games, but uh, I think this is a game much like last week that uh, is going to boil down to who can play defense late. Both teams may. Maybe one of those games where all the scoring is done in the first half, what we saw last week. All right, Tennessee is at Kentucky. Tennessee favored by three and a half. And uh, I like this Tennessee team. You know, I'm not a big Kentucky guy by any stretch of the imagination. But they do a great job of kind of shortening the game at their place. There's something about the weird vibe in Lexington. They really, really play well at home. More times than not. Ole Miss and Vanderbilt. Ole Miss, a 24-and-a-half point favorite there. And I've I've said all for weeks now, I think Vanderbilt's done one in football games. Uh, Can Vandy cover? Yeah. Are they going to win this game? No, they're not. I don't think anybody expects that to happen. I know a lot of people, we'd love it if they did, but let's just be honest about that. Ole Miss just is simply a much better team than Vanderbilt. And, you know, can you argue Vanderbilt's behind schedule? I think last year they, they kind of, you know, they had the big wins, you know, Mike beating Kentucky and Mike beating Florida, and people are like, okay, well, next year we're going to have a chance to go chase a ball game, and that's just, you know, just not at all uh, what is realistic. I mean, when you look at this Vandy schedule and you begin to ask yourself, you know, uh, where do the wins come from? I don't know that I don't know that they do. You know, maybe you guys see it differently, but uh, I just don't see Vanderbilt finding a way uh, to win another game this year. And, you know, again, the rivalry game this weekend in Oxford. And then Auburn goes to Vandy. That may be the one you look at. And then Vandy goes to South Carolina. Vandy goes to Tennessee. <clears throat> you might consider Auburn a toss-up. I think Auburn's too good athletically. You might consider South Carolina a toss-up. I think Shane Beamer and those guys will be coaching uh, to salvage something from the season. And then uh, Vanderbilt at Tennessee, I mean, that's a loss. So, uh, it looks like they're staring two and ten right in the face. I think all of us could probably agree with that. Be nice if we played them, right? We could use that extra win. But uh, you know, looking at the standings here, you know, it's still too early to start projecting bowl picks. It is. But man, is there parity in the league this year? We knew there would be. But I think if you look at it today and it, through an objective lens. I think we'd say Vanderbilt, South Carolina, and Arkansas are not going to a bowl game. I think everybody else is still in contention. I just don't think South Carolina is going to be able to get it done. I thought they may be 6-6 six and six in the preseason, but again, you know, look at numbers here. You know, They're going to go to A&M. They'll get Jacksonville State and they get Vandy. But can they get Kentucky and Clemson? It's doable. It's doable. And they got hot down the stretch last year. So I'm not ready, maybe not totally ready to close the book on these guys. But if you lose this week, that makes you two and six. And you'd have to win out. And, of course, we'll give them the Jacksonville State game. But can they beat Vandy at home, Kentucky at home, and Clemson at home? I don't know that they can. And so while it's still a mathematical possibility, I don't think it's a real probability. And we talked about Arkansas now being 2-6. and six. They're all, They have an open date this week and then head 
to the swamp, and uh, Florida's been so good at home. But outside of that, you look at this, you say, okay, well, you know, the Auburn-Arkansas game could be interesting. And the fact that it's in Arkansas, I'm more than likely going to pick Arkansas. And then you got FIU, but can you beat Missouri? You know, they're in a situation now that they've got to win out. they got to win Florida, Auburn, FIU, and Missouri. Can they do that? Yes. Will they do that? I'm going to say no. And, I, again, I've had people in the Arkansas media tell me that if Sam Pittman has a losing season this year, the ride is over. But outside of that, you start looking at that. I mean, you know, you know, Auburn at three and four, you know, you got to win three. And I'm sure that they're thinking, hey, we got to go win this one, much like Arkansas did last week. I think all the pressure is really on Auburn. I really do. They're at home playing in front of their crowds. Nobody be booing us. Then you get Vanderbilt and New Mexico State. Well, that gets you five. So you got to find one somewhere, whether that be Mississippi State or Arkansas, because I don't think they I don't think they can beat Alabama. I, I don't. I think that Alabama defense is so good. I think I'm ready to go ahead and pencil that in as a loss. So you got to know that they're going to come out with their heads on fire, thinking, hey, we, you know, we still were just trying to make a bowl game. And uh, again, I picked Auburn to be seventh in the West this year. Uh, that could still happen. I think that Auburn-Arkansas game may determine that. Uh, of course, State's got to win some games too. You know, simple as that. But outside of that, everybody else is in pretty good shape. You know, A&M's at four and three. You know, and I think maybe that's a surprise. It is for me, you know. But uh, I, I think when you look at the, what they have left on the schedule, uh, there are some winnable games. Starting this weekend, of course, uh, with South Carolina. And then next weekend, they travel to Oxford. That should be an interesting game. And then we go in there, and then they get Abilene Christian. And so you look at it right now and say, okay, they should be able to get a couple. They close out with LSU. They should be able to get South Carolina and certainly Abilene Christian. And so that makes them both eligible. But I, I thought they may go 8-4 and four this year. I don't, I don't know that, that I agree with that assessment anymore. You know, who do you look at right now and say that's a sure win outside of Abilene Christian? I think there's a lot of toss-up games, and I think uh, traveling to Ole Miss and to LSU are going to be very difficult. For them. Uh, so, you know, if they can get hot here, who knows? Yeah, you know, I worry about traveling to College Station and taking on uh, a very good Aggie defense. But, um, you know, four and three, you know, here at the halfway point, there are a lot of people that are upset with Jimbo. They expected better things this year. And you start, you know, you begin to kind of work your way through this. Of course, they had the non-conference loss to Miami. And then uh, – you know, they lose to Alabama by six. No shame there. Lose to, to Tennessee by seven in Knoxville. Had the open date last week and uh, kind of getting ready to roll. But uh, it's not like that they've lost games that they should have won, you know, maybe outside of Miami. You know, but still on the road against a Power 5 opponent. So it's not like they've got the bad loss yet. But Jimbo always tends to have one. He always seems to have that one loss that is, just, is absolutely inexplicable. But uh, everybody else, you start thinking about this, you know, in the East, Georgia already 7-0, Missouri 7-1. Both of them are already bowl eligible. Florida's 5-2. They were projected to have five wins. You know, down the stretch here, it's still a little bit dicey for them. Probably lose to Georgia. Should beat Florida, which would get them bowl eligible. And then you got to go to LSU, to Missouri, and then Florida State. So maybe a 6-6 six and six year, Maybe. That's probably enough to keep Napier, but uh, you start thinking now if you're five and two, and then you you know win one down the stretch, you go one and five down the stretch. Uh, there could be some people really upset. Kentucky, of course, five and two now too, just one win away from bowl eligibility. 
And again, there's going to be a bunch of six and six, seven and five teams this year. Uh, Tennessee at Kentucky this week. Then Kentucky comes to us. Then Alabama's at Kentucky. Then Kentucky's at South Carolina and Kentucky at Louisville. I could see a scenario where they win two or three of these games down the stretch. I could also see a scenario where they don't win any of them. It's certainly possible, but you got to think they'll pick up at least one to get bowl eligible. But um, still fun stuff to think about. A lot of football left to be played, and it's um, you know we, we play it week to week. So we'll reassess uh, next week. Really quick look at the stats here. Uh, you know, things obviously have come down a little bit for us uh, in, in recent weeks offensively. Um, no point in even looking at, uh, at some of this stuff for the, um, you know, passing numbers. But, um, you know, looking at rushing, you know, Woody's been a little bit banged up here. But uh, Woody still kind of hanging in there a little bit at eight. 500 yards on the season. And uh, is a thousand yard season possible? Yes. Is it likely? No. Cody Strader from Missouri currently leads the Southeastern Conference uh, in rushing. On the receiving side of things, the state's numbers are nowhere near what we hoped they would be, but Tula Griffin, 494 yards receiving, number 11 in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, Malik Neighbors from a Bulldog commitment, already at 981 yards on the season, leads the Southeastern Conference for sure. Uh, Boogie Watson, though, tied for the SEC lead in sacks now with eight, along with Dallas Turner from uh, from. Alabama, Buki, uh, 71 tackles. Uh, pretty impressive numbers there. And uh, Jed Johnson leads the Southeastern Conference with 77 tackles, and Jaheim Thomas from Arkansas with 74. So two of your top three tacklers in the league are Mississippi State Bulldogs. Huh, how about that? You know, so uh, we'll kind of move forward with all that. And, you know, defensively, you know, State's doing some pretty good things um, here as of late. But, um, you know, we also have had some performances that um, have been very disappointing. So hopefully we've got some things figured out. And I think also, too, the, the quality of the opponent and the fact that the, you know, the quarterbacks from Auburn, I don't think, can really challenge this Bulldog secondary. Uh, so we'll see. And, again, Friday we'll come back and we'll preview everything. And uh, I'm about to go uh, interview a baseball commitment, and uh, we'll have that story up on Gene's page uh, shortly. If you haven't done so, go to windabottomfalls.com. And uh, you can pre-order my newest book. It's a book that's basically my memoirs about, uh, you know, what I've learned in 30 years of recovery. If you are somebody that struggles with addiction or somebody that's in recovery, perhaps it's uh, an encouragement to you. And while you're there, you can pick up all my sports books. It's uh, Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains, and Dogpile. Uh, Stark Villains gear always available at StarkVillains.com. And if you had not done so, come join our merry band of maroon misfits over at JeansPage.com. You get one month for a dollar. How cool is that? Test drive for just a buck. Come check it out, uh, or you can get 30% off the annual subscription rate. Uh, we look forward to you coming and be a part of our family. All right, get back with you on Friday, and again, we'll, uh, we'll preview Auburn in its entirety and kind of take a final look at things and uh, preview the rest of the Southeastern Conference. And as we get ready to roll and uh, take our trip over, our semi-annual trip over to, um, to the Plains to play a very vulnerable Auburn team. And uh, I don't know that many people expected that this offense to struggle the way that it has. Uh, I hope they make a full recovery starting on Monday. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. 
Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.